You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Almost the only question that was thrown at us from the last episode of Socks in the Basement, found anywhere podcasts can be found, and always at SocksInTheBasement.com, was, sure, guys, you can say Yoan Moncada won't get any better. You can say Yasmani Grandal is on the decline, but don't forget, they're getting rid of the shift. And I, I found it staggering that people immediately were like, you guys forgot to account for the shift when you said these guys are are what they are. And that uh, Grandal is probably just, uh, you're only hoping for a dead cat bounce, right? Before you jump into it, my friend, because I know you want to. And you're ready to go, and you are going to address oh, that right the, away. The bit is being chomped at. I know, I know. Ah, and ah, ah, it's ah. going to be a great episode of Sox and Basement. We're also going to talk about these managerial candidates and who the Sox are talking to so far. And, of course, it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Uh, remember, if you mention Socks in the Basement, you get money off. You heard the commercial at the beginning of the episode. They're family veteran-owned and operated since they started in 2013. Give them a call at 708-330-4466. Keep water out of your basement and see what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. But before we let you talk, Scott White from CBS Sports yes. covers fantasy baseball was asked this exact question about the impact of the shift on players when trying to figure out fantasy projections of players and how players are going to perform. He was asked on this show just a few weeks ago, instead of having to go back and listen to the entire thing, which you can do because it's always there for you, here is his answer to that question specifically when I asked it to him. So the impact of the shift ban, if we can call it that, basically what what they're uh, enforcing now is only two infielders allowed on each side of second base, and four infielders have to be on the dirt. So there's still a lot of manipulation that can happen within that framework. And so there there doesn't seem to be a great consensus yet as to how much of an impact it's actually going to have. It can only improve batting averages, obviously, uh, if, if, if there's more room in between the fielders and, and teams have gotten so good about uh, with, with their scouting reports and everything with the data from they get they collect from Statcast and, and other sources like that, and, and knowing where hitters tend to put the ball, and they can stack that side of the infield and take away hits that way. Uh, so batting averages are going to go up, but to what extent and how uh, how widespread the effect will be, I think it remains to be seen. You know, you could still put a fielder one inch to the left or the shortstop one inch to the the right of second base, the short, uh, the second baseman one inch to the left. You can still basically play an infielder up the middle and take away a lot of those up the middle hits that, uh, that hitters have been losing in recent years because of the dramatic shifting, but you will, particularly for left-handed hitters, you're going to, you're going to lose that uh, kind of rover in between first and second base that really sets up in, in shallow right field. Um, teams aren't going to be allowed to do that anymore. So some players are going to see their batting average go, go up. And I think specifically left-handed hitters who put the ground, the ball on the ground a lot stand to benefit. Uh, having not 
gone through everybody one by one yet. I don't have, I, I don't know. I can't give you a lot of names for players who would benefit, but I can give you a couple of examples from before the time when, when the infield shifts became so dramatic and so common. Uh, Brian McCann and Mark Teixeira are the two I often cite for this. So, so the shifting really started early in the 2010s. It, it kept increasing toward the, the mid-2010s. That's about the time where you see a dramatic drop-off in, in both Mark Teixeira and Brian McCann's batting averages. So Mark Teixeira, for the first seven years of his career, hit 290. And then for the final seven years of his career, hit 239. Brian McCann, for the first seven years of his career, hit 286. And then for the final eight years of his career, he hit 237. So I do think you're going to see a handful of players who see that kind of change the other way, the batting average improving by as much as maybe 40 points. And that's Scott White talking about the impact of the shift. He was a guest here on Socks in the Basement, ever guest of Socks in the Basement, brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and dress like a pirate this weekend. They're doing a pirate pub crawl where you have to dress as a pirate as you walk through the village. It sounds like a plan. See more at LamontDowntown.com. Besides all the pirate talk right there, which was weird as I was looking at it, and I was like, man, do I still have my pirate outfit? What do you think about what Scott White says? Because the way, I'm, way I heard it when I originally heard it from him and the way that I hear it now is you are probably going to see some averages going up. But the idea that you can't put a guy up the middle is false. You just have uh, some restrictions. It's not going to ban completely the idea of moving guys around. I've heard it suggested you'll just see like an outfielder move over at times. They'll play with two guys at normal depth, and then another outfielder will move over because it only impacts infielders. There will be some version of shifting against players, and while you'll see average go up, it depends on what kind of a hitter the player is. So how do you evaluate that, Ed, when you look at the players in question like Moncada, like Grandal, and then let's talk about a guy that we forgot about last week, Gavin Sheets, a left-handed hitter who pulls a lot. Well, what you got to look at is you got to look at where did they hit the ball. Yohan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, when they put the ball in the air, they were getting a lot of outs in the air, right? So they're not hitting a lot of home runs. Neither of them hit for much power this year. And their line drive rates were okay, and their fly ball rates were a little high. Do you have the numbers sitting like, I mean, I know you're, you're trying, you're sorting through them as we're sitting here and we're talking, but you're saying the fly ball rates are high for them. They're not the ground ball hitters that Scott White talked about that you'll see the greater improvement of. And again, and you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Grandal, at least me just trying to remember back a lot of the things that he does, seems to be one of those guys that's still going to have a problem with the guy that's right up the middle. That's just a, like an inch to one side of the base or the other side where they can do kind of a shift, but not the full one. So, and that's what we're looking at, right? So you look at their ground ball percentage versus the league average. Okay. So MLB average last year, 43.2% ground ball percentage that's this is the how many balls you put in play that are on the ground right and for yon mancada he's below average he's at 38.6 percent uh line drive percentage is lower for him 21.1 percent versus 20 just about 25 percent for the major league average and then his fly ball rate is 32.6 versus 23.4 percent so so he's a fly ball hitter mostly he's a fly ball hitter okay and he's not a dead 
pull hitter. He's right around league average. He's at 29.8% versus 28.9%, which is, so he's right at league average in terms of being a pull hitter. So he's not an extreme ground ball pull hitter that Scott White's talking about there that are going to benefit from not having, you know, not being able to load up that side of the infield. The thing is, is that Yohan Moncada hits up the middle an awful lot, about 51% of the time. Yes, Monty Grandal is very similar, okay? He's up the middle about 49% of the time. He is really not a pull hitter at all. He's 28.4%, which is well below, uh, actually right at league average, okay? So he's really not a pull hitter. He is a ground ball guy to a certain degree. He's at 43.6%, but... Again, he's not pulling into the shift. If you pull up his spray chart on fan graphs, you can see, yeah, there's a lot that he grounded into. Is that because he's a switch hitter, though? Is the reason the spray chart looks that way because of the fact that he hits from both sides of the plate? I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but that, I mean, like, I like, look, I believe that he puts a lot up the middle when I see him on the ground. I've seen that. I, it, it, people might think I'm crazy, but I've seen that. He was the first person that came to mind when I talked with Scott White originally in the interview that, you know, he's not going to benefit as much as as the players that White was using as examples. He he doesn't he doesn't approach the plate in my mind the same as a Tashira or a Brian McCann. No, and and, and really where you know, Yasmani Grandal in particular falls apart is he is just not putting the ball in play. He's just not making very good contact anymore. His hard hit rate is his absolute lowest of his career. Okay, at forty percent uh, down from the year before when he was hitting all the home runs in 2021 and he was hitting for power, he was at 53%. So he's just, he's lost a step, is, is Yasmani Grandal's problem. Yohan Moncada is a fly ball hitter. Yasmani Grandal is not hitting the ball as hard as he used to. And he's slow, so he's still going to ground out, right? Somebody next year could say, you guys were wrong, they went up 10 points in their batting average. And the response would be they should have gone up like 50 if the shift really was a difference maker, right? I mean, like, that's that's the thing. They have less of a chance of the shift actually impacting him the way that you would immediately think, well, I mean, like, you look at how many times teams shift against them. Clearly, when the shift goes away, they'll be better players. They might see a small increase, but it's not going to be something that is that is tangible. It's more likely they are what they are even with the shift change. No, it's more likely that if their if their batting average goes up, it's because Yasmani Grandal found his power again. Okay, and he found his power stroke and was able to hit the ball hard. In Yohan Moncada's case, it's because those fly balls are either turning into line drives, which are dropping, or they're going out of the park. And he's found his power stroke because he's just putting the ball in the air. It won't be because of the shift, which, as White pointed out, really benefits guys that put the ball on the ground. Exactly. The wood from this tree melts the ball to right field. into the bleachers. Morningwoodbats.com is the custom wooden baseball bat company that'll help you smoke them over the fence. Whoa! Check out our custom bat builder that allows you to pick the wood species, model, and color and get custom personalized engraving that'll be drop shipped right to you. Put some life in your lumber with Morningwood. Morningwoodbats.com. 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 Ooh, another appearance by MorningwoodBats.com. If you go on MorningwoodBats.com, check out everything they have to offer. Put in Socks22, get 10% off now. That's for Socks in the Basement listeners. I'm just trying to figure out which bat I'm adding to the bar down here. 
And if I care about anybody else enough to get them one of these for Christmas, Saks 22, put it in there, 10% off. Now let's take a look at Gavin Sheets, a guy that we didn't mention on last week's show, but since this was brought up by listeners who gave us some feedback on what they thought about us talking about the risers and fallers in the lineup and who's going to have a better season next year and who's more likely to have a worse season or be what they are, we didn't mention Gavin. We were running out of time on the show. It's only 30 minutes of Sox talk every time that we do it. So so what about Gavin Sheets and the shift? So Gavin profiles a little bit more as a ground ball hitter right now. You know, the, the, when he was really good in 2021, right? We're all looking at him like, oh, this guy could take the next step. He was actually hitting 46% of his balls on the ground. And he was, he's, uh, you know, a fairly extreme pull hitter and up the middle too. He's, he's a little like what you're seeing about Yasmani Grandal. 50% of the time he's up the middle, 32%, actually almost 33% of the time he's pulling the ball. And there was, and I think this is skewed too for Gavin because at the start of the season, he was doing that weird Frank Menachino, Tony Larusa trying to hit the other way singles thing, right? You saw a lot of Gavin trying to poke it past the shift and do the shift buster ground ball. And as, as they let it rip towards the end of the season, you started to see him ground out more to the right side and, and you know put the ball in the air then. So he is somebody that I think could benefit from the shift being gone. He's going to have to improve his hard hit rate too. It's only 36.3%. So that, that's, that's kind of an ugly number for him. And, but he's, he's hitting more ground balls than the other two guys. The other two are Moncada is more of a fly ball guy a little bit more spread out fly balls, line drives, ground balls. Yaz, partially because he's a switch hitter, is not a dead, considered to be a dead pull hitter necessarily where the shift is going to help him, and his hard hit rate is dropping. He's just not hitting the ball out of the ballpark. With Gavin, he's got to swing harder and put the ball in the air, but if he's going to have those grounders to the right side, that's where he's going to have a, a you know a potentially better shot. Now, that's not to say that next year I'm predicting Gavin Sheets has 50 points on his batting average that he didn't have this year and the other two guys continue to regress. It just means that if you're saying the shift is the cure-all for these three left-handed batters, there's other parts that have to go into it. Right, and Sheets is probably the one most likely just by his hitter profile based upon White, who again, Scott White over at CBS Sports, his whole job is to project production from players. I mean, he went through it in the interview. Again, it's it's on demand. Go back and listen. He goes through his whole method. He goes through all these different factors that go into projecting players. And, and it's not just like looking at the stats and like what we do sometimes. We're just sitting here at the bar. We're just like, ah, he is what he is. Like, oh, my God, he is what he is. And I love how people get so mad when you say that. I, it's a, it's incredible to me. I heard I heard on the radio this week, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, I was flipping. So I can't remember what I was listening to. But somebody, somebody sitting on one of the Chicago radio stations thinking it was laughable that Yoan Moncada is what he is. And all I, my only response to that is, look at his baseball card, and what do you think is the anomaly? The, the one really good season or all the other seasons where he's hitting 250 or less? And, you know, I heard a really funny story. And, you know, look, take these things with a grain of salt. But I went and saw a, a friend of mine helps me out with the, the broadcast basement on-demand radio network behind the scenes and has some connections with people inside of the ballpark. And he was telling me a story about somebody who was extremely close to him who has contact with Jerry Reinsdorf on a regular basis. And this person I was talking to didn't know enough about the White Sox to be able to put two and two together to know what player was being talked about. All he told me was that Jerry's really frustrated with one player. And he said it's some guy who does singing and dancing and looks like he's not into every game. (laughs) 
and he's paying way too much money to and he's paying way too much money to over the next couple of years now that's hearsay and that's a friend of a friend passing a story of a conversation he supposedly had with Jerry Reinsdorf but the fact that the guy did the guy who's telling me the story had no idea who Yoan Makata was like that's not what he does he doesn't watch a lot of baseball he just has a friend who told him, like, yeah, Jerry really hates this guy because of that. I was like, oh, my God, because he owes him $50 million. He owes him $50 million if you take that buyout year. And I be sh- unless all of a sudden something magical happens, that's what it's going to be over the next two years. And it's got to just grind Jerry's gears. Like, it's just got to drive him nuts, which is, again, why I'm shocked that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have a job. Look at the amount of money of his that they're wasting and how silly that they're making him look. I don't like what what are the conversations in there where somehow they're able to retain their employment after all these years? If that were true. And again, uh, just some circumstantial story. I get these things thrown to me all the time when 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 people find out what we do and that we sit around on Sox in the Basement and we and we talk about the White Sox. Quick note before we dive into these managers, Ed. Great guest on Southside Pod, another podcast here on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. Uh, Ken Gar is a comedian, grew up in Ashburn. Uh, and that's neighborhood on the South Side, St. Dennis, St. Tommy Moore, if you go by parishes, lived out in Tinley Park. Uh, quit his job, sold everything, and became a stand-up comedian, like like a Billy Joel song. And he's got a comedy special on Amazon Prime, and he jumped on the show and talked about it. And what's interesting is he jumps on the show and talks, and I'm talking to him on Southside Pod, and then, like, literally the very next day after I record the interview with him, somebody suggests he should be one of the guests on the $1,000 Guest Bounty. And I got to be honest, I just talked to him. So, like... We're getting we're getting suggestions in, and that was a good one. And who knows? Maybe I sit back and I go, okay, in a couple of months, there's something else I can talk to Ken Gar about, comedian, because we don't need to have baseball players, right? We don't need to have somebody who specifically plays for the White Sox. We don't have to have somebody who's playing the game right now. We don't have to have somebody that's even around baseball, although that's kind of fun. I mean, remember, David Sampson is essentially a, a broadcaster now who used to be in a front office. And he won last year over Liam Hendricks and Jake Berger, who were two and three in the voting. Like those were his closest competitors in the thousand dollar guest bounty. You can win a G, a full thousand dollars. And all you have to do is submit who you know. Basically, if you know somebody cool who you think would be a good guest and a fun interview, this is the time to use your friend, your acquaintance, your connection to try to win a thousand dollars. From Parente and Norum, the law offices of Parente and Norum are sponsoring this. They're giving away the $1,000 through socks in the basement. Uh, remember, if you've been injured, they're going to cover it. Over $400 million recovered for their injured clients. And if you want a free case evaluation, socks in the basement fans, you can call or text them today, 312-641-5926, or visit pninjurylaw.com. But that $1,000 is going to somebody this offseason. Uh, Ken Gar, good suggestion. I just feel bad that I just talked to him on Southside Pod, so it feels like I'd be doing the right, same interview, right. you know? I mean, it's unfortunate, but it is a good suggestion. I, and I'm glad people are thinking outside the box. People are thinking outside the box. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, you know, uh, people who are, are saying it's laughable that Yon Moncada is not a career 236 hitter if you take his one good season. <laughs> out. So. It's what he is. I'm sorry. He is what he is. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. Look, we used the COVID thing, right? Like, it was like, oh, he's recovering from COVID. And, and and you're like, oh, I feel bad for him. That's terrible. I read all about these these symptoms of COVID and these athletes. And some of them had some really hard times. What was that, that picture from uh, he was with Boston and then he became the Detroit's, like, presumed Eduardo ace. Rodriguez. Exactly. He he had, like, a heart thing that popped yeah, up. Yeah, the, the heart issue. Yeah. After, after yeah. And, and after he got COVID, 
and he was out for the entire season. So you were hearing things about athletes and the uh, the effects that that the disease was having on them. So you're like, okay, his legs are gone. That's the reason. But when you when you even take that out, and you look at and you look at the following year. You look at your 2021. You look at your 2022. I have a hard time when people are. I mean, I'm watching this guy almost get to 30 in the next uh, couple of years here. I'm I, I'm trying to figure out when the light goes on. He's 28 years old and he's not a power hitter at third base either. I, I his his biggest home run production in the major leagues is 25 home runs in 2019 when you and I could have gone out and hit 15. Well, even you had, the ball was so juiced. Could you Everybody hit 15? Could you have hit 15 home runs? In that year, really? Is that what you think? Oh, if you if you let if you let me hit the ball twice, once out of the infield <laughs> and then once again from the outfield of the fence, if it's like if it's like a little league home run contest where they hit from second base, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Socks in the basement, listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, let's talk managers. Let, let's dive into them. Uh, what, what do we have so far? Joe Espada, I know, has uh, talked to them. Joe Mann's on the radio, uh, you know, just like Ozzie Guillen talking about, oh, I, I could do that job. Yeah, well, Willie Harris is doing the same thing, too. Willie Harris is grabbing every media member going, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm the third base coach of the Cubs. I can do it. <laughs> but who are the names? Who are the names we know that they've talked to? I know Ron Washington, Espada, I think he, Espada's talking to everybody. He he's on he's on Espada's the spot interviewing with yeah, everyone, he's the, yeah he's on the coaching staff of the Astros and everybody with an opening is talking to him so this is like this is like the White Sox in the hunt for Manny Machado and uh, and Bryce Harper and whereas a year ago I think every manager in baseball would have said I want this team after they watched what this team did and some of the problems in this on this roster I don't think it's a slam dunk the White Sox get first choice if a guy's got a bunch of options but but who who else besides those guys well. So you've got Espada. I'm hurting. I, I heard this morning on the news Pedro Griffel of the um, Royals, the Royals bench coach, which is weird to me, Ed. Somebody's got to explain to me what he is. It, when it when it falls, he's Mike Matheny's right hand man. Yep. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Wasn't I told we wanted somebody who was part of a championship? That like you know. Well, well, Mike Matheny was was Tony Larusa's catcher. Oh right? come on, this is ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't even it doesn't well, fit what I was point, told they were looking Pedro for. Pedro Griffel at that point is is like Miguel Cairo. He's diet Miguel Cairo yeah, at that point, yeah, if you ask yeah, me. Because be. you're just saying he's off the Larusa coaching tree in some fashion, right? From from his Cardinal days, right? Of the people I'm sure they talk to, it's Washington and Espada that probably are the most viable candidates. I would think so. Ron Washington is 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 an actual major league manager. But here's the thing about Ron Washington. And, 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 you know, time time makes you kind of forget certain things. 
But there are a lot of people who are mad about Tony LaRusso's indiscretions off the field, right? With the DUI and comments he's made in the past, whatever. People like latched yeah. onto that when he was hired. And I know everybody was angry about LaRusso being hired just the same way that we were. The whole idea of like Rick Hahn didn't get to pick his manager. That was why I was upset. But people latched on to that stuff. I mean, we're talking about a guy who tested positive for cocaine use while he was managing the Rangers and had to leave the game because he was having an extramarital affair. From what at least I could, I went back. I, you know, you try to remember what was going on. So you go back and you look it up and, you know, you try to look at as many sources as you can on the internet, which is never always 100% true. But the guy's got some skeletons in his closet and he's a guy who's around 70 right now. So you're sitting there saying you want to make a change. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff with him now. On one hand, with his with his expertise, winning manager, two pennants, generally first or second place in his division the entire time he was in charge of the Rangers. And every time you hear somebody talk about him, he's like a disciplinarian type guy who works on fundamentals, works individually with his players, and and like that's a thing. And he was part of this championship that the Braves had last year, so he checks an awful lot of boxes. And that stuff isn't recent. But it's something that has happened. So, I mean, like, that. I, look, I'm not kicking him out because of it. I just find it interesting, like, you know, you had that firestorm. People got very upset about the past of Tony La Russa. Some of those same people might go knocking on the door of the past of Ron Washington if he were hired by the White Sox. And I think it'd be, I mean, it's obviously fair game. But, yeah, I, I, you forget why a guy who was a, a successful manager leaves the bench it's not always just age it's not always just you know poor performance this is a guy that you know he was actually doing really well with the rangers back in you know when he was there two straight world series appearances so you can't knock it and he is known as a plus for the white Sox, who let's face it have a bit of an unsettled infield shall we say um that's what washington's forte really is is building up infielders he was you know credited with a lot of the the positive stuff that came out of the the Moneyball era A's infield, and uh, you know, helping some of the, some guys along the way here that are fairly notable, and that that probably includes some of the Braves too. I mean, you have guys like Austin Riley who was considered to be a really below average third baseman until the last couple of seasons when Ron Washington's there. Now Riley's established, so that could be a good thing for a team that's trying to find a second baseman and where Tim Anderson's defense took a step backwards this year and where you've got a really good defensive third baseman in Yohan Moncada, but from a bat standpoint, if he doesn't produce, you might be looking at Jake Berger, who defensively was interesting, shall we say, last year at third base. Um, he was predictably interesting because you didn't quite know what was going to happen anytime he fielded the ball, but he's, you know, he's a guy that, that Washington maybe could mold into something. We're also going to have two first basemen potentially in Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn who have not played the position now much in the past couple of years. There are some roadblocks, I think, to Ron Washington, a guy who, let's be honest, if he never has those indiscretions, probably stays with the Rangers, wins with the Rangers, doesn't leave the Rangers, and may not have been available at this point. And when you look at the last few years since he's come back to baseball, it sounds like he hasn't had any problems whatsoever. So if he really is a reformed man, he's gone through his rough times in life, which many people go through, I would be all for Ron Washington. But again, I just don't know if he gets the staff he wants, and he might be the kind of guy that goes, if I'm going to do this again, I'm I'm going to do this my way or the highway. And so he may not want the job. You don't know how that interview went. Well, and I think what you're talking about there might be the reason why when Bruce Bochy's name was everywhere, 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 everywhere. Right. 
in the managerial candidates. And Bruce Bochy has not spoken with the White Sox. There's apparently been very little to no contact with them. I, if I'm Bruce Bochy, who has a, a tremendous pedigree as a manager, three World Series championships. Is that right with him? He's got three. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm looking at this. I, I'm not. I'm not taking a job where I'm going to be handed a staff. I'm Bruce Mother Bleeping Bochy. <laughs> You don't tell me what to do. It says that. It says that on his and, wallet. And Ron Washington might be the exact same way. I'm right. Ron Mother Bleeping Washington. You don't tell me what to do. Right. You know, and, and to the point about age, I will say this, because both Bochy and, and Washington, Washington's 70, right, as we're sitting here right now, Bochy's 67. So not young guys. I never, I don't ever thought that Tony's age was the factor. I think Tony's health is the factor. And you can tell that there are guys who who age, there are people who age and are very spry, very energetic, very youthful, uh, and and can just keep going, right? And then there are guys who age poorly and have health issues. It's not the years, it's the miles. So I would be curious to see that too. How 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 bad's the mileage on Ron Washington? How bad's the mileage on Bruce Bochy? Because I got the feeling with Bruce Bochy's retirement, it wasn't the years. Dude, it had enough. You know that that he he was feeling every bit of it. So, you know, some of these things. You're looking at bench coaches, which everyone's looking at, and then the Sox want an established manager, but the established managers that are out there, you know, they might be over it. So it might be why Ron Washington's your best bet. If you had the option between, and we really don't know these guys, uh, Joe Espada, who's never been a major league manager, but is the guy coming out of the Astros organization that everybody thinks could be the next big thing, and that's why he's getting all these interviews, or a Ron Washington whose only problem was stuff off the field, has come back into the game, has all this experience, has won two pennants, and was part of a winning organization in the Braves that won the World Series last year. Which one would you lean toward without hearing them in the interview, what they wanted, what their direction was, just based off of those two things? I think for this team, because I really do think that this is a veteran team, and not a young team that people think it is. I honestly think Ron Washington is somebody like that is a much better choice than a guy who has not managed and, and still has to make his managerial mistakes. Ron Washington's been to a World Series twice as a manager. I'm with you. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.